Welcome back to Real Talk Torah, courtesy of the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg. I'm Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, and you just entered the database. And for today's issue, we are looking at a very interesting week in Parsha HaShavua land, Parsha's B'Shalach, this Shabbos is going to be Shabbos Shira, and we have really an interesting week in terms of Segulos. So one Segula, which we're going to speak about today, is the Segula of Parsha's Hamon. Boo! Not Hamon. Like Hamon, the, the manna, the manna, the food that we ate, the bread that came from heaven, which looked like a coriander seed, whatever that is. And we were sustained by this food in the Midbar. So there's what to talk about in terms of that segula. Later this week, maybe we'll talk a little bit about a different segula that's connected to Tubishvat, perhaps related to an esrog. But in the meantime, we'll focus on Parshas Hamon and about the segula that may exist this week. There's apparently a minhag of some sort. We'll talk about the basis of this minhag, um, how authentic it is, and what exactly we can do with this minhag, and what exactly the segula is, in terms of somehow your sustenance, your parnasa, being sustained and perhaps being enhanced this week, maybe if you read Parshas Hamon on Tuesday. So we'll speak all, all about all of that. But first, we're going to acknowledge people who help sustain this podcast, Yona and Connie Laster and Yaakov and Yafa Landau, who have graciously sponsored. So if you want to sponsor, you want to help Bima Farnes, the database, then just reach out to me at thedatabase at gmail.com. That's the data, then base, B-E-I-S, at gmail.com. And you can make your dedication, whatever you prefer, from nicer, $18, whatever it is, and you can make your sponsorship today. Now let's talk about Parshas Hamon. So the segula, the understood segula, is that really it's, it's, it's traced back, sorry, it's traced back to Rabbi Nachum Mendel of Riminov. He's cited as saying that there's a special segula pertaining to Parnasa. If you read the Parsha of Parshas Hamon, and you read it, um, perhaps Shnai Mikrav Echad Targum, which people don't really um, notice that that's part of the segula, perhaps. It's to read it twice, and it's a long parsha, twice with targum, targum unclos, perhaps. And, and even though um, Rev. Riminov um, ha- is quoted as, um, I guess, advertising and holding of this segula, really there's a segula that goes back even further to the times of the Yerushalmi, the Yishami in Brachos is quoted as saying this. I don't have the exact source in the Yishami, but it's also quoted in the Levush and in the Mishnah Brura, Aleph Gimel. And the idea is of reading Parshas Haman actually every single day, that a person's sustenance will never fail, supposedly, if he says Parshas Haman every single day. Now the question is, if it's an everyday thing, what's so special about doing it this Tuesday? So we'll have to discuss that, but that's really not clear. Why to do it on Tuesday? It's not like the Shnai Merkur reading of the being Maver Sedra of Parshas B'Shalach corresponds to Tuesday when it comes to the reading of the Mun. The reading of the Mun, I believe, is in Chamishi and Shishi, which um, would technically correspond to Thursday and Friday. And that's not the speci- that's not the specified day of this segula that's floating around. So the question is, what exactly is the significance of Tuesday? Before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit 
about the concept of segulos, which is something that we've mentioned in previous podcasts, I think in our podcast about our Real Talk Torah about Ayin Hara. So we spoke a little bit about segulos, but what exactly are segulos? So when we talk about something being misugal, it has a, has a connotation of a designation. That there are des- like for example, there are certain times that are designated for certain realities. Um, which makes it seem like there is a magic in the air, makes it seem like there's a charm. Segula is typically translated as charm, that this action or this object or this time is, is a charm, so to speak, for some, some, some kind of fortune to take place. Now, intuitively, this sounds like it's contradictory to, to Jewish thought and, and, and Jewish machshava, because we don't really believe in charms per se, though there are, um, what I've heard is that since there are certain segulos that are rooted in Torah sources, so obviously those are the ones that you should at least respect, other ones perhaps not, if if it's not coming from a Torah source. But the question is, what are we supposed to do with this concept of segula, right? Because if 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 you can just charm your way into getting what you want, so it seems like, there, why, why, why would Hashem put that into the Bria? And it could be that the charms by themselves aren't really worth anything. Um, that if you, if you just do X, Y, and Z, and you have zero merit, so maybe Hashem is not going to give you exactly what it is you want or what, it's set or what the prescribed segula is supposed to give you. And maybe there's another aspect of segula. Maybe part of the segula is that the reason why it's designated to create a certain reality is because of some internal factor pertaining to that to that action or that activity or that time. Meaning, segulos really are supposed to enhance our relationship with Hashem. It's not magic, or it's not pure magic. It's not just, you know, you snap your fingers and you get what you want. But if it impacts your relationship with Hashem in a certain way, so that might explain a consequence that would follow. So it's kind of similar to the concept of davening. Davening doesn't merely just get you what you want. You say all the right magic words, and then Hashem gives you what you need. When you daven, you actually instill in yourself emunah and bitachon in a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And when you do that, that gets you, it doesn't only grant you merit, but it grants you the understanding of where your source of bracha is. And when you have that understanding, so then it makes, it, it makes you worthy of someone to be a vessel to receive that blessing. And that is exactly what um, the, the Hashkafa seems to be behind Parsha Samon. A lot of what I'm going to share about Parsha Samon tonight are ideas that I've heard over the years, um, especially from my older brother, Rav Daniel, um, who has studied this, uh, this passage of Parsha Samon a lot. And we're not going to read the entire passage here because it's just very long. But something to think about in terms of what the... Uh, of, of what Parshas Hamon represents. So, what you might have heard, and this is something that will come up again in Parsha Panorama later this week, so maybe a little bit of a spoiler, and that is that Parshas B'Shalach is the Parsha of Amuna and Bitachon. And we see this in many aspects of the Parsha. It's a clear theme, and one of the main places is in the Mun. The Mun was a food that they were given, and they were supposed to have faith every single day that their food was going to come, Hashem was going to bring it to them. And even though they were scared, even though they were in the Midbar, where naturally they couldn't find food, bread was going to fall from heaven for them, and they were going to be able to eat. And this is an obvious symbol, and especially in light of Parsha Hamon, it is a symbol for generations to come that, that 
Hashem is in charge of our parnasa. In fact, this is why the Chumash tells us that Aaron was told to put a jar of mun, to save a jar of mun in the Aaron, and later the Midrash tells us that Yirmiya, um, right, Rav Chaim Shalevitz quotes this Midrash, um, and he had one of the um, required readings for this week, in Rav Chaim Shalevitz, Sichos Musr, he has a whole section on the Parshas Haman, and he, has, he actually has a section on Emunah and Bitachon as well, which also references the mun, and you've got to read both of them this week. Um, but the, but, but Yirmiya came to the Bnei Israel at a time when they were being lax in their Torah. And he said, why aren't you learning Torah? And they said, we don't have food. And without missing a beat, Yirmiya pulls out the jar of mun and says, well, what do you think they survived on? In other words, there is no excuse not to be engaged in Torah, not to devote time to learning Torah, not to observe the mandates of the Torah just because you need your parnasa. And that is the very reason why it was saved in a jar for generations. Just so you should understand that it has nothing to do with the fact that it was that generation that was living in the Midbar. They survived on Mun. But in fact, Chazal say that the Torah is only acquired and could only be acquired by Ochle Mun, those who get their sustenance from the Mun. In other words, those who put their absolute reliance on Hashem. And this seems to be exactly what the point of Parshas Hamun is. So... Before we go any further into exactly how precisely the mun matches up with our daily parnasa, let's talk a little bit about Tuesday. Right? This is this is a little bit more dubious in terms of the sourcing. Um, it's it's not so clear where Tuesday came from, and I saw an anonymous article online that was suggesting some answers as to what the significance of Tuesday is. And there were some aspects that seemed a little bit more of a stretch. There's one part of an answer that I'm going to use when I develop my simple theory, which I think is a basic theory, but I think it is a good theory. And you can tell me what you think. But... Very simply, when it comes to the falling of the month, so we would say that when would be a good day to read the Parsha? Perhaps on the day that it fell. So wouldn't it be great if it just worked out that the day that the month fell for the first time was Tuesday? Right, but how can you prove such a thing? Well, actually, I think I have an idea. So... I was wondering, wouldn't it be great if Tuesday was the day that the Mun originally fell? So I looked into the Chumash and I tried to see if I could figure out the date. And lo and behold, I found something really surprising, at first at least. I looked at it and I found that not only was the date, at least the date that seemingly the Mun fell, not Tuesday, but it was even worse. It seems to have been on a Shabbos. Now where do I get this from? Well... The Pasuk, right before the story of the month, says that it was it was the 15th of the second day of the month, i.e. Tesvav of E-R, right? Tuba E-R, as opposed to Tuba Shvav, which we're having later this week. Tuba E-R. So, okay, well, what's the 15th of E-R? What day of the week was that? Well, if you do the math and you know the Mesorah, that the original Pesach, the original first day of Pesach, was actually on a Wednesday, because the 14th, um, obviously coming off of the 10th, which was the 10th, the 10th was on Shabbos, right? The original Shabbos Hagadol was on the 10th of Nisan. That would make 
the original Pesach, which was on the 14th, that would have had to have been on Wednesday. And if you do all the math, what emerges is that the 15th of, of ER, so going on that, if you, if you count all the days, you count uh, uh, exactly the 15th of ER, so the day of the week that ends up being is Shabbos. So that's problematic, obviously, because the month didn't fall on Shabbos. And then it seems like the first day that the month fell was on Shabbos. So I did find, quoted from the Chassam Sofer, it might be a, a tshuva in Yerodea in Reish Lamed Gimel. And he actually says that the month did not fall on the 15th of Er. The Pasuk says the 15th day of the second month... Yes, he says that's when the complaint for the month took place, or the complaint that they needed food. Now, the truth is they still had a little bit of food left over. And says the Sam Sofer, the Mun actually did not fall until Yudches Iyar, which parenthetically is Lagba Omer, which is also parenthetically my brother's anniversary, but not for now. Um, but... Yurches Iyar is when Chassam Sofer says the man actually fell down for the first time. That was a Tuesday. So, maybe there is a Segula connected to Tuesday because that was the original time that the man fell. And maybe, this is my theory now, that since the first day that the man fell, seemingly according to this Chassam Sofer at least, was Tuesday... So that would make sense why we would say Parshas Haman on Tuesday. I did not see this anywhere, um, but this is my suggestion as to why we would read Parshas Haman on Tuesday, which is why um, we can um, be machshiv, the minhag of, of, of Tuesday, even if, even if we're not so clear on the exact source, Tuesday might be a really significant day, it might be the actual day that the month fell for the first time. Now, let's go back and talk a little bit about what the, what the minhag is. So the Minhag is reading Parsha Saman. Now, if you look really um, closely in the original source, so again, the Yerushalmi says that really the, the, the Parsha of Man should be recited every day. So what would be the significance of doing it now? Why would Rav Menachem Mendel of Ribbonov have this Minhag of doing it during Parsha's Peshalach? And the answer, I think, really goes back to what the point of a Segula is in the first place. And that is that... It could be if you read the segula, you know, if you read the segula parsha every day. So maybe, um, um, you know, as the Rishalmi says, you should be entitled to this special sustenance, this special hashgacha over your sustenance that you're gonna that you're gonna be stable. But when does parsha saman strike us as really significant? When can we really learn lessons from it? When we're being the sedra, when we're learning the parsha of parsha Spishalach, when we are. Is paying special attention to the Parsha, hopefully, we are ingraining the lessons into ourselves. And the point of reading Parsha Saman is not just that you read a bunch of words, which happen to be holy, but it's that you read words that hopefully make an impression on you. The, the Parsha of the Mun is supposed to inspire your bitachon in Hashem, that Hashem is the master over your sustenance. And in a Parsha where you're giving extra thought to that, when a week when you're giving extra thought to that, and perhaps on the, on the day that the Mun fell, for the first time, so maybe that is the significance of this parsha now. Yes, every day you should think of about the mon every day. But Lamaisa, we don't think about the mon every day. Haraya, we weren't talking about the mon yesterday. We weren't talking about it last week either. 
we're talking about it now because it's Parshas B'Shalach. And, you know, maybe it would be a great thing to talk about more than once. Maybe saying Parshas Hamun every time you receive a paycheck would be a good idea. But Parshas Hamun right now is when we are thinking about it and thinking hopefully about the lessons that, that it represents. So let's talk about what the different lessons are. Again, some uh, many of these lessons, um, these connections, um, I've heard from my brother, but they're, you know, some I'm just throwing out on my own here. So one idea to think about is in terms of, again, this larger hashkach of Hashem, this idea that that our eyes should, the, 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 the be-all end-all of this should be that our eyes are turning to Hashem and hope and we recognize that Hashem is giving us all of the food that we need in our exact time. We don't know what that time is. We, know, we don't know what the B'Sha'a Tova is. But Be'ito, when Hashem decides that it makes the most sense, Hashem gives us what we need. So all of these things um, can be born out of the Parsha of the Mun. The fact that, for example, the Mun, in Parshas Ekev at least, is called a test. Our whole Parnasa is really just one big test. Hashem says, are you going to keep my Torah or are you not going to keep my Torah? We already explained the connection with Yirmiyah where he took out the jar of Mun and said, why aren't you keeping the Torah? What do you think they lived off of? But we see this also in connection to Shabbos. The Mun, in fact, as we mentioned earlier, did not fall on Shabbos, and that is because Parnasa is not earned on Shabbos. There's, in fact, a whole question about schar Shabbos. Are you allowed to get schar for something that you do on Shabbos? Let's say for being a chazan, or let's say for doing a babysitting or group leading job, or let's say for being a, you know, for, for a, um, uh, let's say you do youth directing, or you're a rav. Schar Shabbos, you're allowed to get schar, you're allowed to get a wage on Shabbos. So there are tricks around this. There are halachic loopholes, like um, havla'a, um, where you um, where you're getting paid not just for Shabbos, but you're really getting paid for things that you're doing during the week, and maybe you're doing it b'makom mitzvah. So things that are makom mitzvah might be another kula. But the point is, there are no wages to be earned on Shabbos. You don't work on Shabbos, and this is not just about doing malacha, but this is about about uh, anything. Trying to trying to any expenditures you do on Shabbos to get to get money. It doesn't count. And that's why the Mun doesn't fall on Shabbos. The Mun doesn't fall on Shabbos to teach us this lesson. Right, so how about how the Bnei Israel complained to Moshe and Aaron that we, don't, that, that we don't have food? What are we going to do? So Moshe and Aaron's response is amazing. They say, Who are we? What are we? They, they you complain to us for your food. Which I think tells us another incredible lesson. That your boss ultimately is not the one who decides what your wage is going to be. We think that that's what it is, and that's what it looks like. It looks like the boss decides what's going to go on our paycheck. And you might get mad at your boss because he didn't give you a raise or because he's lowballing you. But if you are someone who understands that v'nachnuma, who are we? We're not in charge. Your boss isn't in charge. HaKadosh Baruch who's in charge of what your wages are going to be. And you don't have to get mad at other people. But you could have betachon and Hashem. And how about Harmar Bavahamamit? The one who tried to gather more, the one who didn't gather as much, the one who gathered less. Guess what? Each person had exactly what he needed for his family, for himself. That means that your natural expenditure of effort, your Hishtadlus, which is required, but it ultimately is not what decides it. That's not what that's not what's going to determine how much you're going to make. 
And in fact, if Chaim Shalavitz says this point explicitly, he says, The prescription, the punishment of Adam Arishan, that you have to make your parnasa by the sweat of your brow, that was not a, 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 uh, a sentence that the only way that Adam can earn his food is specifically by going you know, is specifically through the hishtadlus. It's not through the hishtadlus that you get it, but it's with the hishtadlus. In other words, Hashem is still going to be the one that's going to decide what you're going to get. But now you have to go through motions to earn it, and it's not going to just happen without your hishtadlus. But where is it ultimately coming from? It's not ultimately coming from your hishtadlus. Yeah, you know, Hashem can create a natural world where you could by you know by natural means you're going to get something, but Hashem decides what you're going to make. And your expenditures is not what decides. And you might think, hey, maybe the shtalis I can do will be saving my money. Right? I can save my money, and that that's something I can do al pihtalis al piteva that's going to determine how much money I'm going to have in my bank. And the answer is nope. That's not necessarily true either. Because people who try to save over the money, they try to leave it over. And we know this is where uh, the, the, one of the sources for the minhag of feeding birds on Shabbos Shira or putting out food for them, right? That's a whole halachic issue. Um, maybe we'll have a discussion later this week. We'll see. Possibly yes, possibly not. But the point is that people, doesn't have them. they tried to leave over food. They tried to save over the money. They tried to save some money up. And even when they tried doing that, it ended up being that you were going to get what you were going to get and you were not going to get upset. Because Hashem is in charge. So if you work harder doesn't necessarily mean anything. If you save up, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. If you work on Shabbos, it definitely means something very, very bad. But it definitely doesn't mean anything in terms of what you're going to have in the long run. And the fact that the Mun, according to Misora, the Mun was able to taste like anything, maybe that also speaks to what our relationship to our Parnasa is. That we can ultimately spend our parnasa the way we want. We can make what we want of it. You can have a good attitude or a bad attitude about it. How it's going to taste ultimately when it gets to you. We think, we think that, oh, that it's all about whether or not it's objectively good, objectively bad, right? Pizza is a food that I like, and this food is a food that's healthy, and this food is a food that's not healthy, and this is a food that tastes good to me. And if I have this amount Right, we think if I have this amount, well, well you know, well, what's your comfortable amount? What's your cof- your comfortable salary? That, that, that if you're making this much a year, you're going to be happy. That's a mistake. The month tastes like whatever the beholder or the be taster, the taster, whatever the taster wants it to taste like. That's what it's going to taste like. And I think what that means is that says something about our attitude towards our parnasa. There is no magic number in parnasa. We, th- we think there's a magic number. We think that, that, that our money's going to buy our happiness. Our money's going to buy our satisfaction. Money can do a lot of things. But that's only if Hashem wants the money to accomplish whatever it is you think it's going to accomplish. The, it's it's going to taste however you choose to taste it. When Mitzad, you, from your, from your vantage point, you decide what the, uh, what, what, what the impact is going to be on yourself, how you are going to relate to that which you make. And you can choose to thank Hashem for it, or you can choose to ignore Hashem. But I, I, I recommend the, the former. Because that's what the whole point of Parsha Samon is. The whole point of Parsha Samon is that we read it and understand that Hashem is the one that's in charge of our Parnasa. And if we want to make more 
or maybe we're satisfied with less, but it's ultimately going to be decided by Hashem. Parshas Haman, which is again a Parsha that you should read and read every word, and maybe you'll find you'll pull out even more lessons from it. But something to th- just, just to think about the basic of what it's about. Maybe we'll just quickly go through the Hiratsam. We ask Hashem, Hiratsam, Lofanach Hashem, Elokeinu, 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 what do we want from God? That you are the one that is Tazmin. You provide the Parnasa for all of Beis Yisrael. The Parnasa Asi and my Parnasa, the Parnasa Anshei Beisi, and the Parnasa of the people of my household. Bechlalam included with them, Benachas of Lobet Tsar. It should be with Nachas and not Tsar. That's what we should want. Bechabavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavav
I know that I have Baruch Hashem. And Bezra Hashem, well, Segula, no Segula. The point is we should have Munim Bitochon Hashem. That's what the goal, I assume, I believe to be the goal of the, of the Segula at large. And we should, we should recite the Parashah Saman. We should recite it with the Kavana. We should recite it with all the understandings of what Parnasa is. We should be Zocha to that amazing Parnasa. And in the meantime, I think that's all we have left for this Real Talk Torah. So keep it real, keep talking. And just like we learned from Parshas Haman, most importantly, we keep the Torah. Thanks for joining us here at the database.